There is a famous story that we tell to children about this guy named David, right? He's a little guy. He's got a sling and a stone. He goes up against a giant, and he has victory over the giant. The giant drops, and they're so proud of David and so incredibly impressed with him that they end up making him the king. We tell that story to the kids in Kids Connection all the time. There's another story about David that we do not tell to the kids in Kids Connection. And in this story, David goes up onto the balcony of his palace, looks down upon his neighbor's land, sees his neighbor's wife bathing, and gets all filled with lust and sends his guys over to get her and bring her to him. He sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. And this is a big problem because there is no way to cover this up. Now, there was no DNA testing, but you didn't have to be a genius because her husband was away at war just like David was supposed to be. But instead, David was home, and he got himself into this big mess, and he ends up finding a way to cover it up. He calls for her husband, whose name is Uriah, to be sent home to have a little R&R, some time off, and spend some time with his wife. But Uriah is way too honorable to do this, and he says, I can't go and enjoy the pleasures of my wife while my men are still at war. And so he refuses, and now David has to hatch a plot in order to get Uriah killed so that there will be a cover-up for the fact that his wife is pregnant. So he gets Uriah killed on the battlefield, and then he takes Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, as his own wife. That's the story the kids don't get in Kids Connection. I hope none of them are listening to this. And as a sign of God's grace, God allows significant consequences in David's life, but David repents. The the prophet Nathan comes to David, confronts him with the truth, and he falls on his face before God and he cries out in repentance. He confesses to everything that he's done. He takes full responsibility for everything that he has done and he ends up being restored in his relationship with God. Does he have to face consequences? Yes, he has to face massive consequences. Even the child that is conceived of that sin ends up dying as a result of all of his parents' sin. And yet, by God's grace, he displays his grace in the life of David by giving him another son with Bathsheba, and his name is Solomon. And Solomon eventually inherits the throne of David and becomes the king of all of Israel. And, and I would imagine that must have been a pretty daunting thing for him. I looked it up. Uh, we just recently all got to witness as a, as a world the transfer of power when Queen Elizabeth passed, and King Charles is now the king of England. He's 73. Now, I'm not trying to insult anybody who's 73, but I do want to say that by the time you're 73, you have some experience under your belt, right? And so as Charles becomes king of England, my guess is he's probably thinking, man, I would have liked this 40 years ago, but now I'm not so sure. But imagine instead that Charles was 20 when he becomes the king of England. That's what happened to Solomon. 
We don't know his exact birth date, and we don't know the exact age when he uh, took the throne, but when we do the research based on the timeline the Old Testament gives us, it tells us that Solomon was somewhere between 18 years old and 24 years old at the time when he became the king of Israel. Now, for those of you who are past 24, there might be a couple of us in the room, if you're past 24, I want you to think back to when you were 20, 22, 24. Because the last thing in the world I want to, to do is insult or offend any of the 20-year-olds in the room. But I just want to ask those of you who, who passed 20 a while ago, when you look back at 20-year-old you, you want that person running your life? <laughs> Right? A lot happens between, say, 20 and 40 and 50, and you gain a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge and a lot of understanding and a lot of wisdom in those years. But Solomon is, is thrust into the limelight, and it's not an easy situation. There are others who think they should have the throne. There's uh, wars to be fought and things to be done and, and enemies to be defeated, and he is being threatened from every side as he takes the throne. I would guess that whatever amount of pride he had as the prince probably was eclipsed by fear when they put the crown on his head. Now, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and go to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. So it goes uh, 1 and 2 Samuel, then 1 and 2 Kings. So find 1 Kings, and I want you to, to go to... 1 Kings chapter 3. And we're just going to kind of look at what happens here at the very beginning of Solomon's reign as the king of Israel. 1 Kings chapter 3. And let's just see how it starts. Beginning of verse 1. Then Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. His reign is not off to a good start. The Jews, the people of Israel, had been in bondage to Egypt. They had been forbidden to have any alliance with Egypt. And the first thing that Solomon does is looks around and goes, man, I need some firepower. Should I get into trouble? I better have an alliance with the Pharaoh. <coughs> and so he marries Pharaoh's daughter. Okay? Verse 2. The people were still sacrificing on the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. So in Israel, they had not built the temple at this point. Solomon does this later. David had not been allowed to build the temple. So there is no temple, and for the people to worship, they end up sort of mixing their Judaism with paganism, and they go to the high places, which are the places where, where idols have been sacrificed to throughout the land, throughout all the days. Now, they're making sacrifices to the one true God, but they're sort of doing it in a pagan way. That's what's happening so far in Solomon's reign. Verse 3, now Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, ask what you wish me to give to you. 
ask what you wish me to give to you. Now, <laughs> try to put yourself in that position. Every time I read this and I see God appearing to him saying, ask what you wish me to give to you, my mind immediately goes to Disney's version of Aladdin. He finds the lamp, he rubs the lamp, the big blue Robin Williams pops out of the lamp and says, ask whatever you want and I will give it to you. But there's rules, no more asking for more wishes and all that kind of stuff, but I'll do anything you want. That's a fictitious story about a fictitious genie. This is the God of the universe. The God who speaks one word and the whole universe comes into being. The God who has power over everything. And he says to him, ask whatever you want of me. Okay, verse six. Then Solomon said, you've shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you've reserved for him this great loving kindness that you've given him a son to sit on his throne as it is to this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David, yet I'm but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered and counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? He's given a blank slate. Ask whatever you want. And you could see the humility that is set into his heart as he's taken the throne because the only thing he can think is, I can't handle this job. There's too many people to care for. That is the exact feeling I had when my firstborn daughter was born and handed to me. I can't handle this job. As it turns out through the teenage years, you learn, yeah, you really, really can't. And, and, and I remember that feeling of going, man, I don't know what you're doing here, God, but you have a lot more faith in me than I do, apparently, because this is too much. Solomon is given responsibility over people that he can only describe as too many to be counted. And here's how he describes himself. He says, I'm but a child. I don't know how to go out or come in. And that's an old Hebrew colloquialism that says, I don't know my rear end from third base. It's the same thing. And, and so give me an understanding heart. Give me wisdom, he says. Pick it up in verse 10. It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have you asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment and understand, to understand justice. Behold, I've done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I've also given you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor." so that there will not be any among the kings like you in all your days. If, 
You might want to circle that word if. When the word if appears in a promise of God, circle it. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. Then Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered burnt offerings and made peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. He asked for wisdom. He got that and so much more. Solomon was a pretty lucky guy. Wouldn't you love to have an offer like that? I, I Seriously, stop and think for a second. If God appeared to you today and said, okay, you get one shot, what do you want? I wonder what would come to your mind. I wonder what you would ask God for. Solomon asked for wisdom. And, and it's interesting to get an offer like that. It, it, it's like the genie pops out of the lamp and suddenly your whole life has changed. And I started thinking about that and I was reading, and you don't have to turn there right now, but I, I was reading back in the New Testament, the book of James. And in James chapter one and verse five, here's what it says. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. That's a shocking verse to me. So we see this happening in Solomon's life, and we're like, well, it's Bible times. And, and he was a king and everything, and, and, you know, this is not like me. I don't have that kind of access to God to get that kind of wisdom from God. And yet James says... If any of you lacks wisdom, now I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but raise your hand if you lack wisdom. Okay, the other people are too foolish to raise their hand. If any of you lacks wisdom, he says, let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. Solomon got this amazing offer from God and became incredibly wise. And what blows my mind when I read James chapter one is that God gives the exact same offer to us. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask me. God says, I got all the wisdom you could ever need and then some. If you need wisdom, ask me. God says, and, and he, doesn't, he doesn't qualify it. Only thing he says is ask in faith. Believe that God is the source of that wisdom. Ask him and he will give you wisdom. He doesn't say, you know, if you're the king of something, I'll give you wisdom. He doesn't say, you know, if you're really, really good and, and attend Sunday school every week, I'll give you wisdom. He doesn't say if you're a man or a woman, if you're a child or an adult, he doesn't, he doesn't qualify it in any way. He says, if you need wisdom, ask me, and I will give it to you generously. And later in the book of James, in chapter 4, verse 2, James says, you do not have because you do not ask Wow, we, we hear verses like that and we're like, oh, that's a nice verse. That, you know, maybe write that in a card for somebody or something like that. But to actually think 
that I could ask God for his wisdom and he'll give it to me. And then he goes along and goes, hey, Doug, you know why you're still so foolish? Because you haven't asked for wisdom. You do not have because you do not ask. When are we gonna learn that everything we need, God has? James 1.17, while we're in the book of James, James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God never changes, and every good thing that we need, he has. He can give us everything we need, and yet there's a whole bunch of us who are walking around living lives that with all due respect, seem to lack a little wisdom. And he says, if you ask, I'll give it to you. He says, if you you don't have because you don't ask. And he says, you can trust me, every good thing comes from me. Solomon asked for wisdom. Now, now I I want to take this a little further. Think about this. We've been talking about this recently. Jesus died to bring you into a relationship with God. That word relationship is huge here. He wants us to seek him. You you might say, well, if he wants me to have all this wisdom, why doesn't he just like inject it into me? Why, Why am I not just born with wisdom? Why doesn't the child come out of the womb and they cut the cord and he says, you know, Confucius says, that's not what happens. Why doesn't he just give us that wisdom? Well, I think part of the reason is because he created us to desire and need a relationship with him. And so he says, come to me, and in the midst of that relationship, I will give you wisdom. He wants to spend time with me. He wants me to know him. He wants me to learn from him. He wants me to follow him. He wants me to become more like him. So we need to ask God for wisdom on a daily basis. Now, we're just starting this whole new series on wisdom and how to take your life to the next level by applying biblical wisdom to your lives. But let me just tell you this. If you literally tune out everything else I say today and don't even show up for the other weeks of this uh, series, but if you actually apply what you just learned, your life will be changed forever and the people around you, their lives will be changed too. If we just become people who ask God for wisdom on a regular basis. But it's gonna be a long series. There's a lot more to be said about wisdom. (laughs) There's an old saying, right? Wisdom comes with gray hair. I like to say wisdom comes with no hair. (laughs) The point is the same either way, right? That, that there's, there's something about growing old that sort of is a source of wisdom. Job says it like this. He says, wisdom is with aged men. With long life is understanding. That's Job 12, 12. See, there is a way to gain wisdom in addition to asking God for it. And that is, you just got to keep breathing. You just gotta stay alive a little longer because the longer you live, and I know most of you can back me up on this, the older you are, the more you're gonna wanna shout amen to this. The longer you live, the more you pay what I call a dumb tax. Right? 
How do you get so wise? You do a bunch of stupid things and learn from them. And, and so as you go through life, you can learn from your own mistakes. You can learn from other people's mistakes. That's a much better way. Let somebody else pay your dumb tax. And that's why I spend so much time with Jim. Just covers the dumb tax for me. See, a wise person makes mistakes and learns and doesn't repeat those mistakes. But what is it they say is the definition of foolishness? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, right? That's a fool. The book of Proverbs mentions this concept over and over again. You can either learn and adjust and grow in wisdom, or you can refuse to learn and adjust and grow in foolishness. Proverbs 1.7 says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it is possible to have gray hair, and don't shout anybody's name, we know this is true, it is possible to have gray hair and still not have wisdom. It is possible to be really intelligent and have a bunch of letters after your name and a bunch of uh, certificates hanging on the wall of your office and still be what the Bible calls a fool. It is possible to have good parents who train you up in the way you should go and to have great teachers who teach you all the knowledge that you need and to have wonderful mentors who set an example for you in your life and you can have all of those things and still become a fool. Wisdom is not just a matter of knowledge and it's not just a matter of experience, it's a matter of application. The Bible talks about three similar ideas. They're all related but they're not the same. Three words, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And the Bible talks about these things over and over again. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, go to the book of Proverbs. We're gonna, you're gonna wanna mark the book of Proverbs because we're gonna be there a lot in this series. But in the book of Proverbs, we're gonna begin here in chapter two and verse one. Now, what you may or may not know is that most of the book of Proverbs is written by Solomon. And why is Solomon writing this book of great wisdom? It's in order to prepare his son because he has been the son of a king and knew what it was like to ascend the throne not knowing how to go out or come in. And so he writes this book of wisdom to his son. And here's what he says in chapter two, verse one. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Now we sometimes have a tendency to use those three words interchangeably. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. We talk about them as if they're the same thing. But, but here in verse six, he talks about them all in the same verse. They're not the same thing. In fact, maybe, maybe a helpful way to think about it is that knowledge is the awareness of facts. There are a lot of people who are highly educated fools. Would you agree? 
Yeah, a lot of them are teaching in our universities, but I won't take that shot. There are a lot of highly educated fools. Knowledge is simply the awareness of facts. Understanding is the ability to know why those facts matter. And wisdom is the ability to apply your knowledge and understanding to make good decisions for successful living. Those are three different things. They're related, but they're not the same. How many times have you read a great passage of scripture and then closed your Bible and neglected to apply it to your life? You don't have to answer that. Just just drop your head in shame. (laughs) How many times have you heard a powerful sermon from God's word, been moved in your heart, moved in your mind, and thought, man, my life's never going to be the same because of this, and walk out the doors, and by the time you get to Applebee's, you don't even remember what the sermon was about, let alone how to apply it to your life, and it just falls by the wayside and never gets applied. See, it's not just a matter of wanting to be wise. It's not just a matter of learning truth. We have to apply truth to our lives and make the necessary adjustments in our lives if we're going to reap the fruit of wisdom. Listen to how Solomon describes what happens when we don't apply wisdom. It's in Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Now, here, just before we begin to read, let me, let me explain. Uh, here in Proverbs chapter 1, wisdom is personified, So he's uh, talking about wisdom, and it is wisdom who personified is speaking to us here, right? So here's what it says in verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. By the way, guys, every time wisdom is mentioned, it's a she. Amen. (laughs) Sorry, don't know what to tell you about that. Um, She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof, says wisdom. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention and you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, says wisdom. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge, did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof, so they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. It's not that there's not wisdom available to us. I think we've made that point. But while wisdom calls to us in the streets, our flesh says, yeah, that's probably smart, but I'd rather do this. And we go our own way. And and what 
Solomon is telling us here with the voice of wisdom is that if you choose to live that way, you will experience the results of that. And all of us were like, well, yeah, of course. You know, if you, if you play with matches, you're gonna get burned. We know that here. And then we play with matches. And, and God is trying to get our attention and go, listen, uh, there's another way. If you do not live with wisdom, you will reap the negative consequences of your foolishness. That's why this sermon series on biblical wisdom affords you the opportunity to take your life to the next level. Because literally, we're gonna be focusing on biblical truth that can become absolutely like an escalator in your life to move you ahead in your marriages, in your families, in your parenting, to move you ahead in your uh, handling of your finances, to move you ahead in your careers, to move you ahead in your relationships. It's like a lift that lifts us up. That's what wisdom does for us. And yet, if we ignore wisdom, there are consequences to that. And that should not surprise us because that is a law of the universe that God created. Leave your finger there in Proverbs or go to the New Testament, to the book of Galatians. Find Galatians about halfway through your New Testament, maybe two-thirds of the way. After you get to 1 and 2 Corinthians, then you're going to come to Galatians. And I want you to go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. And while you're turning there, let me just rant for a second. Not that you have a choice. But, but guys... There are certain universal laws that God has created and somehow we think we can ignore them. Like, like would, you, would you step off of a 10th story balcony and go, yeah, I know about the law of gravity, but it's probably not gonna happen to me. No, it's a law of the universe. God created it. This is how life works works. God designed the universe. God designed us and he designed us to flourish in the universe he designed and he's given us certain basic laws and said this is how life works. Ignore these laws at your own peril. Chapter 6 of Galatians verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Well, no, duh. We know this. I know. Well, this is Southern California. Most of us don't even have a garden. But imagine being a farmer, and you have these acres and acres of fields. And so you plant corn, and you wait for the full harvest, and you're shocked when wheat doesn't come up. If you plant corn, what grows? Oh, you guys are farmers. You do get this, right? This is just, this is simple wisdom 101, right? What you plant is what grows. And he says here in Galatians, listen, do not be deceived. Whenever a verse begins with do not be deceived, pay close attention. It means, hey, a whole bunch of you guys get deceived a lot. So do not be deceived on this one. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. Because you know why? God is not mocked. You don't get to mock God and reap reward. 
You know, it's, been, it's become really kind of a popular sport in our society today to try to mock God. There's a lot of God mocking going on out there. If you don't know that, just uh, turn on your television, watch whatever the most popular series are right now, or, or go to the movies, or turn on the news, or God forbid, scroll through social media, and just watch how God is being mocked. And, and there's a whole world of fools who are mocking the God who created them and thinking that somehow they have the upper hand. And he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. He is God and I am not. Let's try that. He is God and I am not. I am not. Right. You are not. Hello, you are not. He's God, and I'm not. So his being God puts him in a whole different category of wisdom than me, and yet I insist that I'm gonna run my life my way, and what God says is antiquated and old and doesn't apply today, and God must have had no idea that our culture was gonna be the way it is now and our society is gonna be the way it is now. I should probably ignore what it says in this dusty old book. He is God. And I am not. He is the creator of the universe. He created me. He's my Lord by definition. If I ignore God, I do so at my own peril. Think about this. Before we get so comfortable with God and think, oh, well, I'm just going to run my own life and it'll be fine. Who was Jesus' closest friend during his years of ministry on earth? Anybody know? John. The Apostle John is Jesus' best buddy. You know, he's got all these followers, and he's got the 12, and he's really close. And among those 12, he has three, Peter, James, and John. And among those, he has John. And in just in case we forget, all you have to do is read the book of John, and every time he refers to himself, he doesn't call himself by name. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, as if he didn't love the rest. He's Jesus' closest friend. They hung out together. They went camping together. They went fishing together. They sat around fires and made s'mores together. They were best friends. And John is the only of the 12 disciples who actually dies of old age. The others are all martyred for their faith. John is exiled to an island called Patmos off of Greece. And there in the island of Patmos, he has the vision that has become the book of Revelation, right? And in that vision, he's, he's uh, you know, in a vision, he sees the exalted, glorified Jesus on the throne of heaven. And he describes him, and then he says, and when I saw him, I fell down on my face like a dead man. It's his best friend. Just to be in his presence humbled him to that degree. We need to stop and remember something. As much as Jesus is my brother, as much as Jesus is my friend, as much as Jesus is my homeboy, as the t-shirts say, Jesus is the God of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of all things. 
If you're a Christian, God is your friend. God is your savior. He's your heavenly father, but he is still God. And God is not mocked. You and I are never gonna be wise until we start accepting God on God's terms. We're never gonna be wise until we start submitting to the lordship of Jesus in our lives. We're never going to experience life at the next level that God has in mind for us until we actually start following him as God and not just an idea, but the king of kings and lord of lords. This is an introduction to this series. I'm calling it Kindergarten Wisdom. We have to start here, guys. How are you doing at submitting to the lordship of Jesus in your daily life? It's the foundation of a successful life. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. We've got to start at the beginning. We're going to be looking throughout this series at a whole bunch of biblical principles that are foundational to life, that are wise. And we're going to be learning how do we apply these things in our lives so they flesh out and actually make a difference between Monday and Saturday. But in the meantime, we better start here. He's Lord. He's the source of all wisdom. I will not find wisdom apart from him. I will not find a fruitful life apart from him. I will not find joy apart from him. I will not find purpose apart from him. I will not find any good thing apart from him. So again, I ask you to ask yourself, how am I doing at submitting to the lordship of Jesus in my daily life. Now, before we dismiss, I just want us to actually give the Lord a chance to work in our hearts on this. And so I'm just gonna ask you, close your notes, close your Bibles, turn off your phones, do all that kind of stuff. And just have a moment right where you are, alone with God. We're just gonna have a little bit of a silent prayer time Maybe the Spirit is speaking to your heart. Maybe you have some stuff you need to confess to God. Maybe you have some fears or worries you need to lay at His feet. Maybe you've been on a path that you don't know how to get off of and you need to ask Him to just pick you up where you are and move you to a different path. Let's just take a moment of silent time. Let's confess Let's submit, let's rejoice in who he is.
Father, right now in this place, in the stillness of our hearts, we come before you. Aware that some of us, in some way or another, have been sowing what we do not want to reap. We've been walking away from you instead of with you. We've been ignoring the truth of your word even though we know it. Taking our knowledge and setting it aside and not using understanding and wisdom. Maybe like Solomon, we would say, we don't know how to go out or come in. And so we bow at your feet, Lord. We confess that you are God and we are not. And we ask you for wisdom. Not just wisdom as some sort of ethereal concept, but actually changed lives because we're applying your truth to our lives. Let us be people who walk in wisdom. Let us be people who live according to your statutes. And let us be people who reap the abundant harvest of sowing in wisdom. I pray that through these next weeks, as we grapple with the the wisdom of your scripture, that you would send us out of here each Sunday, ready to live differently because we've been confronted with your word. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for being here today. Go walk in wisdom.